problem. Oh, hi. You there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. Can you see me or am I in my tree form? Uh, when, when, you, uh, when you broke up, I decided to go ahead and close off all of the uh, programs running on this computer. Okay, great. But I think that we've got the recorder going now. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so there's sort of two, two questions. One is like a really nuts and bolts meditation question that just came up from uh from sitting before phoning you and then the other is a much kind of broader application of sort of insight into daily life question which okay, one which one do you want that? first i don't care <laughs> um i'll find i'll find a way of screwing on both up and everybody enjoy <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, let's go with the big questions. Actually, I've sort of been meaning to ask you this for weeks, but haven't quite. Um, haven't quite. So it's a sort of question that I often ask you, which is how to apply and kind of live from some of the insights that arise in practice. Um, and it's specifically around the idea of non-self. And it's it's sort of like, it's sort of like this, I feel like this point where it, there is like um, an intellectual and experiential insight into non-self, but it's not lived from. It was so often the way that I actually respond in daily life situations is coming from a, a much more selfish, self-oriented place. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm at this point where there's this sort of like odd, where like in, in meditation, I'm, I'm often kind of experiencing these very, very open, bright, we talked about it before, like non-sticky places where there mm -hmm. just isn't much self <laughs> and it's really lovely. And there are times but they're they're relatively brief and few and far between when i feel like i'm able to kind of access that uh setting off the cushion and in daily life but i'm becoming very aware of all the times and there's so many of them every day <laughs> where yeah. I, I'm doing the You'd opposite. You'd be surprised how many 24 is in hours. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm responding, like, kind of from a very, like, selfish place with, like, lots of kind of annoyance, with impatience, with a, with the kind of general, like, dissatisfaction with the way things are. And the dissatisfaction, if I kind of look at it, it often kind of comes from quite a kind of, a fixed contracted selfish process going on and i'm yeah i suppose it's just like the um the contrast between those two states is becoming really really clear okay the first point that i would like to say is good congratulations mm -hmm. That's an important point, is to recognize the distinction between the two. So, basically what I'm hearing you say is, is that you have been gaining the skill to get into first jhana on a regular basis, and that you're gaining skill in learning to maintain that state. And also the next point is, is to, that we make sure that we understand that the primary, most important ingredient of the first jhana is freedom from the hindrances. In the regard that the word hindrance means things that will hinder us from being in first jhana. By defining it that way, we got it. You know, there's no need to argue about what a hindrance is. We know what they are. And that is the hindrance that in the mind prevents us from 
feeling good about what we're doing right now, feeling satisfied, feeling comfortable, feeling uh, champion, feeling joyful, feeling like everything is just okay, right? You know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You've been practicing it. But you also know what it feels like to not be in that state. But now you're recognizing it, not that you've been doing it all these years, but now when you're in that state, you kind of know it and becoming a little disgusted with it. Yeah. All right, good. This is a major point. This is actually an excellent point in time. So let's talk about it from from this way. Uh, A lot of people don't understand what the word middle path means. But we can get a lot of indications. In fact, at one time I started making a list of all the different kinds of middle path. It could be a middle path. And I came up with dozens of them, both Mm. inside and outside of Buddhism. But I left off the one that I'm about to give you. Because I didn't quite understand yet then what it meant by the middle path between the distinction that the Buddha is making is between um, harming oneself through self-flagellation or austerities or doing work that we don't need to do or Mm -hmm. um, uh, doing it with the idea that if I do this now, I'll get some benefit later. Mm -hmm. And that the way that they actually phrased it in the time of the Buddha was is that I will harm myself now so that old bad karma that Mm -hmm. would have been suffering, I'll go ahead and suffer now for that so that I won't have to suffer of uh, karma from the past. The Buddha just easily pointed out, wait a minute, what you're doing right now to cause this suffering that you're doing right now, that's the cause and effect. This has got nothing to do with old past karma. This has to do with you're harming yourself right now and look at what you're doing. (laughs) Present action giving present results has nothing to do with uh, fixing up the past. We can't do that. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin we need to discuss in the sense that most people think when they hear merely the word sensual pleasure that they immediately have images of a brothel with a lot of alcohol or a bar or chatting up or maybe girls dancing with a, uh, a pole and all kinds of stuff like that. But if you look at the guys who he told this to in that first sutta, these were the meditators who had been with him throughout all of that jhana practice. And that one of the points that is to be made is these higher jhanas are, in fact, a kind of sensual pleasure. It's a pleasant abiding. Yes. Okay. So the middle path, then, if you look at it from this perspective, is the distinction between harming ourselves or spending all of our time or too much time looking for the sensual pleasures of higher jhanas. Which means now the middle path is, in fact, first jhana. To get ourselves into a state that is pleasant, happy, I can deal with the world, and I'm free from my own mental crap. Mm. And I'm in a state of satisfaction, but the mind is now fit for work, completely functional. We can apply it to the things we want to apply it to and sustain that. This is what you're beginning to experience in practice. And now you're asking, how can we take that and make it into the middle path for my whole life? And my answer to that is, step this way. (laughs) 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 Because this is a key point. Yeah, But in fact, we have been beginning to be practicing this all along. This is why I've given you those exercises about when you sit down and when you stand up. So we need to go back and start practicing that stuff a whole lot more to become aware more and more throughout the day. We actually want to begin to build up sati. So the more you can do, the more anchor points that you can put Mm. to wake up and get into that state. 
an example with that, if you drive a car, or maybe for you, just leaving the house. Whenever you open the door to leave the house, you say, before I leave the house, I'm going to get myself into the most pleasant state. Just mm-hmm. like I said in, the, in, uh, in meditation, and I get a really deep, nice, but now I can leave the house. And see how long I can maintain that before I get 10 minutes walking. (laughs) And when I get to that destination, before I open that door, I'm going to make sure that I'm back into that state of complete relaxation, complete joy, complete no selfish thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because in fact, that's another point that, that should be made, that altruistic thoughts are not harmful. They don't hurt us. When we're thinking selfish thoughts, that burns. Mm -hmm. When we are selfish, we're thinking about, I lost this, or Mm -hmm. I want that, Mm -hmm. or I need this other thing, or Mm -hmm. it's I, me, my, and all of that kind of stuff attaching to my ideas, my world, my identification, my political party, etc., like that. When we're thinking about it in those terms, that's painful. That's harmful, and it is a hindrance to us feeling really good. Mm. So now throughout the day, we begin to recognize what is it that I'm most likely to dwell on that's going to pull me out of state of satisfaction. Mm. What, what would be that? What is it that's most likely to pull you out of the state of satisfaction? Not the kids in class. From what you tell me, it's not your ex. What is it that pulls you out? Gosh, we've already named the big ones. <laughs> I suppose, got these it's like it is like these. It's almost it's like it's not external. It's not something out there. It's like these just deep rooted. Yeah, habits. we know that already. I'm asking you about the triggers. What's going to trigger that stuff off? I feel like it can be anything. It's more that there are like these patterns of the mind that that get triggered. And it can be anything. It can be like um, not feeling like there's enough time. It can be like... Um, okay, let's just stop with that one. When uh, So now make a mental note, a strong determination that whenever I think that I don't have enough time, that's a wake-up moment. Mm. Any time that you feel rushed for time is a time to stop time. Just stop and get yourself into a feel-good space. Because if you are in a hurry and anxious about time, you'll more than likely screw stuff up along the use of that time. Mm -hmm. But if you stop and get your mind clear and you get into a happy state, now through wisdom you can possibly actually save time. So let us say that it would take you one minute, like you you got to go catch a bus or something, I'm a short time frame, but I don't have enough time. But if I take five seconds out of that one minute to get myself into a good state, mm-hmm. now I've got 55 seconds of enjoyment mm-hmm. rather than 60 seconds of not having enough time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that makes... Maybe five seconds of getting into it and then ten seconds of enjoying it and then now we get right back into I'm out of time again and so now we have to get ourselves back into it's okay. In fact, wisdom would say plan in advance so that there's no reason for you to ever get into a state that you feel that you're out of time. Mm -hmm. So what kind of states and times do you get into when you feel out of time? Or like what moments in the day, what moments in the week, that sort of thing. Yeah, when is it that you're most likely to feel like you're out of time? When the, is the, last end, time? the end of working, the end of the school day when I'm going to like pick up my kids from school or whatever. And it's like always feels like there's not very much time to get things ready for the next day before I have to leave my school to go pick up my kids from their school. Okay. So there you are. Now you know when to practice. Yeah. Every day, practice at that point in time. Get yourself into a really, really good state before you clean up. Yeah. 
because it doesn't take long. We're not taking about, it doesn't take you 15 minutes to get your mind into a good state. No, it doesn't. It is a very, it is when, when Sati reminds you to do it, it's very accessible. It's not so much about it. That's what we're getting at. So now we're going to actually add a whole list of things that you're going to note. Wow. When I feel I'm out of time and when do I feel out of time at the end of the day? So caution five seconds ahead i'm going to feel like i'm out of time mm. you but begin to plan in advance these other things other things that kind of trigger that seem to like be the triggers for these mo like this sort of dissatisfaction it's like it's ultimately it's like things not being the way that you would find them most easy to be <laughs> It's actually like when you look at it, it's like this unbelievably childish um, view of reality where it's like you're getting upset and annoyed because the world does not conform to this sort of preconceived idea in your head of what would be the easiest or most pleasing kind of version of this minute but everybody does that it's so funny when you look at it it is it is so childish and so kind of uh yeah you'd think we grew up out of it in a way we did but in a way we didn't (laughs) no didn't grow up out of it at all okay so now that's another point in time so you've got two of them one is the anchor of when you're getting ready to go home and you've got to clean up and get all of that stuff done. You've got people waiting on you, et cetera, like that. So that's the time to give yourself that five seconds of let me sit down and really cool off and chill for a moment. And then I'll clean up and I'll clean up while I'm cool. OK, so now we've got another one. That's the first one. Now the second one. I've forgotten. What was it? So like every time the world, I mean, this one's a very broad degree, like doesn't conform to what you want. The Buddha was very specific about that. He was like, we, wasn't it? It's like we suffer because we want things we don't, we want things we don't have. We have things we don't want. And one of those things on that list is something quite similar to things happen in the way that you don't want them to happen or something like that. Let me give you an example. I did not want the laptop to die. Yes, that kind of thing. But that (laughs) that night, when I'm laying in bed, I recognize that even though I'm not thinking about the laptop, I can still feel a little underlying anxiety that has come up because of it. And now that I see that, I can breathe right through it and feel completely relaxed. Yeah. Okay. The other one is, is that the laptop that's being used right now still doesn't have nearly enough of the software and already it's choked Mm. uh and so we have to only use one program at at a time in fact i had to close foxfire and i'd already closed chrome to wear on a regular laptop that's not not an issue but preparing it and getting it up to the point that it is now has been the culmination of maybe 10 or 12 hours of work Now, the question each time along the way is, I'm going to spend all the time it takes to get this laptop up to the level that it's capable of being while feeling good, or I'm going to feel bad about it, feel anxious, feel like I'm in a hurry. Oh, somebody's going to call. I better get this Skype going. No. In fact, I've had two Skype calls to where the microphone just wasn't set up. We had to go out and get this new set of headphones because the... Uh, the, the uh, the microphone that's built into the computer is very noisy. That's the bottom line. And so this one is better. But all of that stuff took time. And yeah, it's been happening. And I had a really enjoyable experience when I was buying the headphones. Mm. Had a really nice conversation with, uh, uh, with the lady. But it still, I didn't get what I wanted. What I wanted was an adapter for the headphones that I've got now, because it's got only one plug, and this computer requires it to be adapted for two. Mm. But I did buy this one and got a good discount. So everything is cool. That's what we're talking about. Can you get yourself into the position so that any, even when 
a tragedy like losing one's laptop. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for many people, think about it. Everybody that's watching this video, what if all of a sudden, before I finish talking, your laptop died, never for it to come alive again? How would you feel? Never mind, you'll figure it out, because <laughs> that laptop will die. <laughs> so uh, that's the way that we have to recognize that anything that comes along is actually like dumbbells in a, uh, um, uh, in a gym, mm. just yet another toy to play with. Mm. So, that, so those are some of those triggers to do with like... Uh... I suppose, more like non-personal things, right? Like time and objects. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's, that's one set of things. And then the other set of things is more like personal. Do you know what I mean? In the sense that it's more like interpersonal. And it's like, um, it's like if when I hear, when my children are like arguing together, I find my, like, it really annoys me. <laughs> Um, okay, that's a really good one. That's still an event because right now we're looking for events. Yes, yeah. Another kind of event for some people would be whenever they talk to their boss or whenever they talk to somebody important or whenever they are in a deep conversation, they'll get tense and uptight and all that kind of stuff. But you, you're dealing with the easiest end of it. Bunch of brats yelling at each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> it is at the moment because there's only 15 of them because we're teaching in like uh, small bubbles. Uh, you know, as a the schools, yeah, the schools reopening. It's only for like normally we have 30 kids in a class, and at the moment we've got 15 kids in a class. So actually. Uh -huh. Side of things is especially uh, easygoing at the moment. In Thailand, the, new, the schools are going to open next Wednesday on the 1st of uh, July. Oh, great. Uh, and so we were at school today to uh, kind of get ready for that. Uh, but I know what you mean. You're going to have more kids. So maybe the thing to do is to put some uh, devices to work with the 15 that you've got so that when the new kids are added to it, you will already have uh, half of them trained. So that means that the next half will be much easier. They'll mm. fall in line. And you can do it by uh, teaching the kids to play a game or so. And that when the and the one kid who doesn't do it, everybody laughs at him. You know that kind of game. And so you can set that as um, whenever you do a certain kind of behavior, everybody just stop doing what they're doing and laugh at you. That's what everybody's job is. And then you can invent something like every time that I stand up, put my hands in the air, and say hop hop. And then I hop around. Everybody's got to stop what they're doing and pay attention to me and laugh. And then you do it and everybody will do that. Okay. And so you just forget about it for a while. And then all of a sudden you'll think about that. And then you'll just stand up with your ears and say, hop, hop, and turn around. And now let's look to see which kids are not paying attention. And start pointing them out. Aha, you didn't laugh at me, did you? Uh-huh, I see you. Okay. And so by pointing each one of them out, next time, the third time that you do it, now you've got them. And so you only have to do that about once a day from now on, and you've got their attention. Believe me, you've got their attention. And you did it in such a joyful way, you didn't have to hit any of them with a stick. And it may not be throwing the hands in the airs and saying hop, hop, and jump around. It can be something else. Mm. Yeah. But you need to do something to change your own mind. And, you, and so this is, and I, and I just played a trick on you because this is not about getting the kids to jump and laugh at you hopping around. It's to get you to do it.
Yeah. <laughs> For you to change your attitude, I do not have to be frustrated with these kids yelling at each other. I can stand and jump and hop around. Yeah. That's that's it, isn't it? It's like in, in the moment, it's having the reserves of humor and patience and lightness. But in the moment, but this is going back to the whole, like, the, the kind of, like, self as being the kind of, like, originator of this, like, unskillful response. It's because uh, in the moment, I don't like it. It's like, yeah, it's like the space. If, if when there is that space, it, yeah, that's and going go, talking before about seeing the difference between the responses. It's like when there is that openness and that space, those responses just flow spontaneously. One just like acts when you remember. Yeah, but it's that it's space will open. More, it's sometimes though. It's more than remembering. There are times when I remember, but the contraction is so dense that you only half wake up yeah or Here, like, here's an example of that every morning i've been talking to the students about this and so far no one's disagreed every morning you wake up and you don't get up every morning you wake up with the idea i'll set the snooze and i'll get up in five minutes or i'll wake up wet better Every morning when we wake up, we only half wake up. We don't wake up enough to actually get out of bed. Yeah. Now, contrast that to um, Army boot camp, and I imagine they have it like that in England, that the drill instructor comes banging on the wall at 5.30 or 10 minutes to 6 or whenever it is, and every recruit will jump right out of that sack. Yes, sir, and stand at attention. When they hear that stick go off, they know they got to get up. They wake up completely, okay? We need to learn to take control of our own mind like that so that the part of the effort then is to wake up completely enough so that we can actually do this, what we are intending to do, rather than only get halfway awake to recognize this is suffering and I don't like it. Yeah. But we're not fully awake enough to say, this is suffering and I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's it's going back to like Duca Duca Naroda, it's like waking up enough to go Duca, but not quite waking up enough to go Duca Naroda. <laughs> precisely the right way to say it, exactly. And a lot of meditators are doing that. They'll wake up to the Duca, and now it's a Duca 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 machine. I see Duca, I got more Duca. Wow, did I get a big insight from all of that Duca, but I still got Duca. <laughs> Because I haven't actually cleaned the mind out and gotten those hindrances out of the mind. So, yeah, so that this that cleaning the mind out. So you were talking about um, about that in relation to first jhana, but there's also like there's this quality of mind which I don't particularly associate with first jhana. I associate it with like in my practice, it tends to be like when I'm third tetrad, say. So like I've kind of let go of 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 making my primary object the kind of pleasure and the sukha and i right. do not have to call it first jhana but and in fact there's a lot of good reasons for not but yeah. what we do want to know is what are the jhana factors that we're looking for and are we gathering them together yes so and the number one that. is when the mind is free from hindrance and see when it's not free from hindrance we're still in dukkha yes. but when the mind is free from hindrance that gives us the possibility uh, and in fact, in the sutta, the way it is, is that sukha is born from the seclusion, from the hindrances. Mm -hmm. That is basically like taking a hand out of the fire. Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically like coming out of a cold freezer that we've been stuck in for a while, and we begin to warm up. Yeah. Okay. This is the whole quality of, of it, that we can come out, but it does take a little bit, and it takes some effort sometimes, especially when we're repeating a habit that we've done so much. Therefore, the seclusion from that hindrance will give us all the more joy. Wow, am I so glad to get rid of that. 
And so this is part of the waking up is to see the intensity to the to the dukkha, to really see that this is dukkha, that it's not just an ordinary kind of thought. That even ordinary kind of thoughts are in fact dukkha. Let's get out of those too. There's yeah. No state. So then it's like, so that basically what I'm sort of getting at is that it's like it's in that third tetrad. It's in it's when there's like a very expansive space, like very spacious mind, yeah, unsticky mind, the really like open clear bright i would call that actually then the fruit of the first jhana as opposed to the path of first jhana yeah i tend to spend a lot of time with students on the path of first jhana but yes that unsticky openness i think i mentioned that last time if not for, forgive me yes yeah. that would be the fruit of the first jhana but it's still the first jhana and we're now it's really fruitful to where in the in the beginning of the first jhana the development of the first jhana is that it does take that effort it is effortful and that uh but i can throw that stuff out and it comes back and i can throw it out again and it comes back and i can throw it out again and by throwing it out over and over again i begin to know number one i can throw it out and number two wow it feels really good when i do throw it out mm -hmm. Okay, so later that expansive quality will be there. But the thing that we're looking for is, can we feel good? Can we feel satisfied? Can we feel comfortable? Do we feel like a winner? Do we feel like we can handle this situation? Or does it feel like this is hard work? Mm, well, at that point, it... See, that's... A, at that point, almost like some of those distinctions aren't really even in play because you're not thinking like that. You know what I mean? Like those thoughts, okay. the we thoughts and the I thoughts and the am I feeling good thoughts and like they're just, they're not, they're no longer in the game. They're no longer in the mix. They're no longer there. And instead there is just this like very bright, clear. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, and I read, oh, I hope I'm pronounce it wrong. What's that? The suitor where the by it begins with the B, and it's like in the seeing, let there just be the seen, and in the heard, let there just be the heard, and in the cognizing, let there just be the cognizing. What's it called? That the by, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it well, and I, that's a little bit deeper, but we can play with it a little bit in the first genre by, yeah. by intentionally making sure that we're not taking an object. So what, how do we apply the mind in first jhana is to make sure that we're not going to apply it to anything in particular. And if we catch it applied to something, we unapply it. Mm. That's how you can get the mind down to the level of the seeing is merely the seeing. But that, that untethering of the mind from the object also kind of untethers it from the sense of self right like that's what it yeah, absolutely and because you get rid of that sense of a self observing a thing in this instead you you have the thing consciousness of the thing and the thing that's conscious all that the distinction disappears and instead you just have this bright expanse okay it seems like that's the kind of like fundamental thing which could train you so that you don't trigger into those contracted selfishnesses. Okay. That, that would be what we would be talking about or the referring to. Can we, once we get into whatever state, that we're in the path of the fruit of the first jhana in either one of those cases can we sustain that mm. can we keep that going and the answer to that is yes so long as we do not allow the hindrances to come back in mm. so now we want to start to be on guard when we're walking around to, uh, to make sure that any thoughts of self or any thoughts of uh, uh, any downers uh, 
uh, any thoughts of the past because, in fact, it's hard to think of the past without a me being in that past. Mm, you have to construct uh, a you. There's a self being constructed in order to construct the past. So if we stay out of the past and stay out of the future and uh, stay in this present moment, that's when we're most likely then to be in available for that state. And use the senses, right, as a kind of gateway to that part of the mind. Like, just allow, like, hearing's really good, isn't it? For Like, I, I'm finding hearing, like, especially uh, effective at kind of allowing one to kind of get into that, like, quite bright, clear. That's another way of saying it, yes. What we want to do is spend a whole lot more of our time in our sensory awareness and a whole lot less time in the old noggin just stirring stuff yeah. up because the only thing that the old noggin has to stir with is old thoughts and old memories because we're not paying attention to what's really happening right now mm. so we could say that yes there are six parts of the mind or mm -hmm. the not the six senses mm -hmm. the five senses that we have plus this sixth sense and everybody says oh isn't that marvelous maybe we should do something with that no basically what we're saying is that's the one that needs to be quiet mm. we need to come out of the head we need to shut that down or at least guide it mm. and the and not necessarily shutting it down we could uh but we want to guide it instead by paying attention to. So that now what we're doing is that thinking part of the mind, instead of just thinking on its own, we either put it directly on the eyes, directly on the ears, directly on the taste. And by doing that, I mean, that's the way to really enjoy food. Is mm. the only thought you've got is what's happening inside the mouth while that stuff is manufacturing itself, getting down ready to be swallowed. What a joy. I mean, it's such an experience. And they teach that at most retreats that I know of, mm. especially at Watsu and Mo, is to pay attention to what you're doing. Okay? And paying attention to what we're doing means that we have to use these senses. And that basically the right way or the only way of not paying attention to what we're doing is by getting back lost in thought again. And so... Let's stay in those senses. Mm. That's that's what, uh, and by staying in the senses and yet still not taking any particular object, yes. we're floating awareness stays floating. That we are very much uh, applying the mind, but we're applying it in a way of applying to keep moving it. And mm. we sustain that movement so that everything, and when I'm pointing around like that, I'm talking about the sights of the eyes, the wind from the fan, the wind from the air, uh, uh, the bug on the arm, uh, the shaking of the leg, the waving of the hands, everything is there with the body, with the eyes, with sensory awareness. And it is marvelous. See, in that, moment, there's, no, in that moment, there's no aversion with anything that's arising in reality. At that moment, when one of your children does something mean to another one of your children, you can respond to it with like a kind of light, gentle generosity rather than a kind of like contracted annoyance and precisely, etc. Et because you're not relating to it like it's a real, it's not, it's not a question of a real thing. You're not relating to it like it's like this fixed, solid, I don't know, I can't quite finish that thought, but it, it's like <laughs> relating to reality like it is a, a like a, like an interconnected process rather than a bunch of kind of like discrete separate cells that can piss you off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Right. Well, the important point now that we got to go back to so that we can understand how to answer the question that you asked mm -hmm. is sati, 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 sati. Mm -hmm. Let's find uh, or begin to become aware of those times when we allow ourselves to fall into bad feelings. So that next time that that happens, we're on guard. Okay? Like caught behind us, bad feelings five seconds ahead. 
because a lot of people go into bad feelings when the cop is behind them. Okay? You don't know what the cop's going to do, but people start to feel bad. <laughs> so what, whatever it is for you, um, and you were saying that when the kids in class get rowdy, well, I was actually that tends to pick you up. That too. I was talking more, but it was actually more my children. When that, like, if they are unkind to each other, I find that like quite difficult to often. It's like a moment where it needs your best response, but actually you end up just being annoyed at one of them for being mean to the other one. Whereas actually you should try and understand a little bit where that behavior is coming from and respond to it with. I okay with the kids in the house there, I would, i tell you what I do. I've got a little song that I sing. I taught Kitty this song early, and every time that I sing it, it really gets her attention. Mm -hmm. And it's a child's song, okay? And you can use this song, and the kids will really, when they hear this song, okay? Na 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 ha 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 I see you angry I see you bad ha 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 in there listening <laughs> okay and and so that kind of sing song play lang language first off the whole point of it it gets you out of your frustration mm -hmm. It allows you to join them at their level because that's exactly the way that a child would respond to a child mm -hmm. if they caught them misbehaving. That's the whole point of that song. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I see you. I see you. Okay. And that, it, I mean, that's how that song is used, right? And so it actually has a great deal of value, especially if you can sing it with a great big smiley voice rather than a put-downy voice. Mm -hmm. The question is, can you wake up in time to do anything correct mm -hmm. as opposed to being angry and upset with them and tell the kids, you better shut up or I'm coming in there and I'm going to make you think I'm ugly. By the way, I pulled a twist there. Let me explain what I'm talking about. The Buddha says that there are several reasons why you would want to get uh, one of your enemies angry. One is, is that they speak in a loud voice and nobody wants to be around them. Number two, their faces uh, in anger, they're ugly. Mm -hmm. Number three, when people are angry, they cannot uh, think straight. Okay, so these various things, so every time that you're angry, you become ugly. And so you can, you can behave that way in the joy is you can say, hey, kids, you want me to come in there and be ugly? Because that, that would be angry. Mm -hmm. And you could be ugly with them if you were angry. Mm -hmm. Can you have the presence of mind to begin to remember, I, I don't have to be ugly to my kids just because they're being ugly with each other. Mm -hmm. This is all about mudita. It's all about joy. Can you wake up to that joy? Can you get your, while they're yelling, take a deep breath and say, you know, next time I talk to those kids, it's going to be really funny. I'm going to find something really funny to say, and it's going to break that stuff up. Mm -hmm. Because your only other chance is to join their fight. Mm -hmm. Which is not going to improve things at all, generally. <laughs> but if you can get your own mind together, then you can go in and you can break it up joyfully. And that same mentality is exactly what we were talking about in, in the classroom, is to get the kids' attention by doing something funny and joyful. And and that gets their attention. Because most of the time when they have to pay attention to adults is because the adults are angry and ugly. So one, another a question that sort of 
follows on from this, we might not have time to answer it now because I'm aware you've been on the call for a while and I know it's late in Thailand. I think I phoned you quite late today. But um, it's like almost like the kind of the, tra the, the, the training involved in the steps of Anapanasati, the 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 kind of the 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 practice training sati element and also the the insight element and how they kind of reinforce each other and then can be applied in daily life in the way that we've been describing what about um you mentioned mudita it seems like brahma vihara practice it's like another way of doing it like the what no, you... it's another way of describing it yeah because it, well it's yeah okay go on yeah okay you're practicing metta right and then you hear your kids arguing with each other what are you going to do are you going to continue metta or are you going to stop doing metta and go be angry with them <laughs> if you do go do metta what are you going to do metta yeah you're going to make friends with them you're going to be uh, spreading your joy you're going to uh, you have compassion for these kids and you want them to be free from their suffering mm -hmm. so everything that we said in the past 45 minutes can be fit into that metta karuna uh mudita package yeah but i suppose the question it's is a different is, way of saying it i suppose the question is in terms of like how having like a really really sincere wish to start living like minute by minute hour by hour day by day to the kind of um to the possibilities of that are that i'm seeing in the practice is do you think it's helpful to develop a brahma vihara practice is that like the and what i wonder what your thoughts that's are. what we're doing anapanasati is the brahma vihara practice we just have a slightly different language for it okay and that in fact in the uh anapanasati sutta the buddha does mention that there are people here who are practicing uh metta karuna mudita upeka and he mentions them one by one individually. And then he starts talking about Anapanasati as being the, the practice of great fruit. After he mentions, yes, I know you're here. You're, this is what you're doing. But I'm here as a salesman for Anapanasati. He's trying to get them out of their metta into Anapanasati because that's the easier and better way of doing the same thing anyway. Mm -hmm. But the frame of reference of um, <clears throat> the Brahma Baharas is actually quite useful. But it's only a frame of reference. Mm. And Anapanasati is a different frame of reference, and that they are, in fact, the same thing. Just like uh, in psychotherapy, there are many frames of reference or let us call it schools of thought mm -hmm. give you another idea but the frame of reference would be like strictly Freudian or burn or NLP or uh, there's a, a variety of, of modalities uh, or frames of reference sure. but they all have the same intention and goal and they often all have the same um, techniques mm -hmm. And basically, those techniques boil down to that the psychologist has really got to pay attention to what's going on. And hopefully, if things are going right, he teaches the uh, the client to start to pay close attention to what's really going on. But there are different um, frames of reference. And so one frame of reference would be uh, the Anapanasati and uh, Metta would be another frame of reference. You could also go so far as to say the jhanas are another frame of reference, and each one of them has advantages and disadvantages. But the Eightfold Noble Path and the uh, Anapanasati is what the Buddha recommends, and gosh, it does seem to work. <laughs>
Um, but I know that many people are attracted to metta because it's translated into English as loving kindness. And the Christians really love the word love. I don't know why, because almost always love has to do with the quality of wanting something you don't have. Mm. Or being catty about it. Don't you just love her dress? Mm. That's being said by three women, two of them are catty while they're looking at the third woman all dressed up fancy, you know. Don't you just love her dress? Mm. Now, this is how the word love is used. And also, I love you, please marry me, is the same kind of quality as I want something. Mm -hmm. And if I want it bad enough, if I love you. And so we wind up having all of these diseases like love sickness. (laughs) Or it's like a selfish. Unrequited love. Or it's like a selfish neediness is often... Let's make sure that our metta is not a needy, selfish practice. And often it is. And let me show you how that can occur. May all beings be happy. Have you ever heard of that as a reference for the practice of metta? May all beings be happy as the idea that all beings are not happy. In fact, the whole point is, is that nobody's happy, not even me. So may all beings be happy might be uh, a pity party. Mm. Or it might be a call, a call to, not, to call to arms or to call of nature. Like not just may everybody be happy, but I'm going to make sure of it. But then we have to have enough joy to spread around. If you don't have joy to spread, then what good is the metta? Yeah, I've done. I've been doing some experimentation with Brahma Vihara practice, and it's it's like seems like the crossover between it and the jhanas, especially like jhana one and two, in terms of like pleasure, pt, sukha. It's just like it almost seems to be just like a kind of flavor of that, right? Like. Right. I would go so far as to say that each one of these frames of reference will produce different flavors for an individual. But all of these are actually unique for each one of us, that everybody ultimately has to find their own path that may be a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but they're all under the framework of getting rid of those hindrances, Mm. throwing the hindrances out and coming to a state of pleasure over and over and over again. That's the most basic practice. If you can do that by practicing metta, great. And then, in fact, may all beings be happy sounds like a pretty good thing to say. Yeah. But while I am saying that, I can also think about the fight that I had with my sister. Yeah. And where's that metta? My understanding was, was that the phrases, like that in the suttas, there's not really any discussion about using phrases and that it's much more about the boundless radiation of a sense of love or compassion mm-hmm. or joy or equanimity. If you got it right. If, if you if you don't have it, you can't radiate it. But that's so let's get it. And then once we get it, once we have that satisfaction, now we can radiate it. Yeah. But the phrases are just like a trigger to a feeling, which mm-hmm. is then the primary thing you're working with. Okay. So, exactly. So, uh, you've probably heard of the six points of the compass. Yeah. Okay. That's north, south, east, west, up and down. Yeah. But that is, so, I've done some, some, some sessions, and getting to the point where you are, where you are doing that, it is very like, it just feels very like being in jhana and just having all of this joyful Right. moving around your body moving out it, it yeah right so this is that frame of reference again that you're do, you're using a different frame of reference and it gives you a slightly different result but overall it's the same practice yes and that is that open expansion of being in the senses and being kind of at one with our environment including everything in it yeah now blurring between inside and outside like let's see that happens right what, what's the name of the like um 
yeah that happens with when you're when you're feeling all of that kind of like pleasurable energy in the body in the first few jhanas it, it seeps out doesn't it it just it, it starts to like blur as you're moving it around the body and saturating the body and playing with like breathing it through the body it starts to kind of completely blur the sense of the body and then as it kind of shifts into like a more perhaps less physical and more refined mental space and that refined mental space at that point you're completely you're 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 starting to kind of get into a much more boundless less physically limited constrained place okay i got you i understand what you're saying i know a lot of people want because they haven't had the experience that you're talking about but yes i will i will um how to say it first congratulate you and second validate what you're talking about that yes and that that can be had either way with either thinking of it through the concept of metta or with the concept of anapanasati it's still that expansive quality that has to do with things are really nice they really were all along now let me allow things to be really nice as they really are rather than creating the problems because all of the problems are created nature really doesn't have any problems on its own it's only us creating problems yeah uh, so when we get into that state of not creating the problem, that's when we, now we can become kind of at one with the environment, which is that open expansion that you're talking about. It's really actually hard to put it into language, but it is an experience of beginning to open up. So the question is, can you continue with that? Yes. Can you get into that often, and can you, when you do get into it, can you maintain it? Well, the, on the cushion, the answer is yes. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. On the cushion, the answer is not that much, but sometimes, like. Well, the answer is not yet. It's a work in progress. Yeah, but like. When I say, like, sometimes, sometimes I can, and it makes me realize that, like, it's, it's pro- it is possible to live more and more from that. But the, the fact that I'm having these glimpses of seeing what it's like in one's daily life to tap into that sense of, like, open-hearted expansion um, or, or that kind of, like, bright, boundless, kind of, like, clear space where you where you don't feel like a selfish individual fighting the world around them you and just to like have these little glimpses of like what daily life is like when that state is available is now as we're going back to the beginning of our conversation is that it is genuinely leaving me disgusted with the majority of my life which is actually not a very pleasant place to be like in some ways, I feel like the last month I've been in quite—I haven't been in—I've I've been in kind of a slightly darker mental space than I'm accustomed to being, <laughs> because of that contrast, almost. Okay. But now that you're knowing that, I mean, we do go through those kinds of moods. Sometimes they last for months, and we don't know it that we're not aware of. Uh, uh, in that regard, Tam is very, very sensitive to the moods that I go in and out of. She watches very closely. Mm. And so because she does, I better also. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is what we're looking at is the fact that we can, in fact, watch closely to see these frames or states of mind that we get into and sometimes they will last for weeks or months although what's interesting is that they they don't they don't last as a solid entity for weeks or months do they but they're like they're punctuated kind of more yes yes exactly um or maybe just an underlying um kind of a niggle of something's wrong but i don't quite know what it is right but that can be practiced through. 
those kind of feelings can be investigated with breathing and with watching. Are they there or are they not? And presumably they can, they can even form a part of a broad, expansive awareness, right? Like I, I assume that it's possible okay. when one is able to kind of live more fully from that um, place that then those cycles can, and those like, yes. you know, natural, normal, you know, probably quite organic Nature, it does take a while because we have to sometimes go through these cycles several times to begin to see what's going on now that we're waking up and looking for it. Yeah. In the old days, things would happen and we didn't know it, so we can't count on those times. We can only go forward from here and recognize, yeah, I can see that stuff. And because I can see it, I can throw those mental thoughts that go with it, that state out and I can come to a state of what you could call homeostasis or a state of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And as we develop that state of satisfaction, that has also to do with the quality of um, being a winner or uh, being satisfied that we can do this. And as we do that, that's when that expansion begins to grow, when we get really fully into the senses and stop paying attention to any mm-hmm. objects at all. Yes, so now you know what we're talking about. Now we need to practice that, not just on the cushion, but throughout the day. Mm. Make a point of it that uh, we've got several anchors. In fact, just that one anchor that we have of when it's time for you to go home from work, that's the time for you to get yourself because that'll help actually help you to rid yourself of all the crap that's built up in the last few hours of work. Mm get yourself into a really nice state before you go home. Because what's your choice? Feeling like you're out of time. (laughs) So begin to notice for those things. We've gotten one, but there there are other points in time when you recognize I've got to do something right now. This is not working or uh, the old way is not working. Mm -hmm. So an example of that would be when the kids are uh, arguing or yelling with each other. That's a wake-up call. Mm. Wakey, wakey. Before you go and bother those kids having a ball, having a fight, <laughs> you got to get yourself out of fight mode. <laughs> and that's also mudita. Yeah. Being able to get out of that fight mode so that you can share your joy with these people who... Uh, and so that's back to that song, nah, 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 nah. In fact, that may be all you need to say, and all of a sudden the kids are giggling because they recognize that you caught them arguing with each other. Yeah, I like that. I will try that. So Mm -hmm. we've got several anchors now, and you can come up with some more that -hmm. you will know just for yourself. When are you most likely to get uptight? So that the next day you can say, when that happens, I'm going to watch for it to make sure I don't get uptight then. Mm. And see to what extent possible, to what extent I can not only have the sati to kind of realize that that's the state I'm in, but also like to have to let that to have that sati be powered up enough. To powered up, powered it. sati, right? The power, the sati that's strong enough to actually do something about it, rather than just notice it and wake up halfway. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That in fact, that's part of the deep breath. Taking that deep breath is what helps us wake up. Mm. Okay. (laughs) A work in progress. A work in progress. Yes, everybody's a work in progress. Right. Yeah. No need to look for the end goal. I'm not ready for a casket yet. Gold or otherwise. In fact, I probably won't get a casket anyway. No, they seem like a bit of a waste of wood, right? That was yeah, right. Saying. Don't cut down a tree because of me. <laughs> yeah, it does. A casket is actually like a great symbol of like the fear and rejection of death as an idea, isn't it? It's like right. 
such a disturbing idea. We've got to put it in a fancy box and, yeah. you know. Well, I've, I've told him that I, don't, I wanted to take this chair that I'm in and put it over in the corner where we can get a lot of breeze and just prop me up. And see what <laughs> I- <laughs> they do that in Peru, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's, well, there's, Jer- you know, Jeremy Bentham. He's a, he's a philosopher, like English 18th century utilitarian philosopher. And in his will, he asked that his body be stuffed and put like in the university that he taught in. And it's still there in UCL, <laughs> University College London. You go in and there's Jeremy Bentham. There he is. <laughs> No casket for me. I'm going to be on display. <laughs> That's good. Perfect box around you. I know. I know. Well, I don't know if we ever got to your first question or not, but we've been at it for a while. So why don't we save that one for the next time? Yeah. And we'll see you tomorrow or the next day. You go enjoy yourself, okay? When those kids are fighting and brawling, you just go have a ball. Okay. Thank you so much, Damaratu. Go well, and I'll speak soon. Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye.